2: for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. right.
3: As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner.
2: Gene. Gene Fodor. Gene was good.
3: But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano.
2: Gene, run!
3: Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia,
4: Taking a walk. It just becomes more and more corporate all the time. I played at Fastenbury with Blondie on the main stage this summer. We were second on the bill. Elton John was top of the bill. I thought I'd go and watch Elton John from the side of the stage. They wouldn't let me on the stage because I didn't have the right pass. And it's supposed to be like the free-spirited festival. And it's like you might as well be trying to clock in at work at IBM. Welcome to the Taking a Walk podcast. The show with storytelling from musicians and insiders
3: and their love of music, hosted by Buzz Knight. On this episode, Buzz is joined by musician Glenn Matlock. You know Glenn's work from the legendary Sex Pistols and Blondie. Glenn leads the band The Maestros, featuring Clem Burke of Blondie fame, Gilby Clark, known for his work with Guns N' Roses, and Steve Fishman from The Stranglers and The Damned. Let's join Buzz Knight and Glenn Matlock on Taking a Walk. Glenn Matlock, it's so great to have you on a uh, virtual edition of the Taking a Walk podcast. I wish we could be uh, walking somewhere in the streets of uh, your town in England, but uh, nevertheless, we'll accept the virtual.
4: Alright, well it's fine, and I mind being in Boston actually, but I was there earlier this year with, um, with Blondie, so yeah, I, I can sort of visualize where you are kind of A little bit. Yeah. I know where to get a replacement um, Apple USB charger. That's kind of quite handy in life, the modern world we live in. Yeah, in Boston. So there you go.
3: Well, welcome. And congratulations on your newest album called Consequences Coming. Can you talk to me about the uh, creative process
4: behind Consequences Coming? Okay, creative. Well, there was one. Um, I started writing the songs. I know that you probably know that we had this thing over here called Brexit. And a lot of us aren't very happy about it. We think it's the most stupid thing this country has ever done. And what it has also done is kind of enabled the kind of far right government. There were a bunch of nitwits, And um, I don't think they know what they're doing, basically, but they're doing it anyway. And some of the songs are kind of railing against that and all around the world there's a lurch to the right which I think ultimately is untenable and I started writing the songs just before that all happened started recording, I hadn't completed all the songs but then lockdown happened so um, I kind of had to put it all on hold a little bit and I thought I'd missed my moment but I was in New York earlier this year doing some stuff with Clem for um, this TV program that's being made called Bowery Boy with um, Ivan Julian and Richard Lloyd and Clem Burke. We did a session and I had to go up to Midtown to go and do some press, but I couldn't get a cab that morning and I was going to go and... um, promote my consequences coming record but i couldn't get a cab because all the roads were blocked off because coming down from central park to be arraigned was donald trump so i kind of thought maybe i haven't missed my moment at all so there you go i don't know what your politics are but he is certainly not mine so there you go so it's a general heads up that we shouldn't be taken for charlie's basically but there's some good rock and roll tunes on the record as well. got some great players on it. Pham's on a couple of tracks. L slicks all over it. I've got a Japanese guy called Hotai, who's like the Jeff Beck of Japan, plays on a song. Norman Watroy's on a lot of the bass. I play rhythm guitar on it and sing. So, um, yeah, I'm quite pleased with the way it's come out.
3: Well, going back to your moment in New York City, uh, I would have been shivering as well. Um, I want to uh, ask you, though, uh, as the co-creator with the Sex Pistols of Anarchy in the UK, um, how relevant uh, is that now? I have to think it's extremely relevant, don't you? Well, it kind of is.
4: It's just maybe the guy who actually wrote the lyrics. That one's my melody and tune and you know song structure and john's lyrics i don't know if john totally believes in it i probably believe in it more than him it all depends what your definition of anarchy is if it's self-determination we certainly haven't got that if everything is a complete mess well then we have got that i do like the line in the song the future dream is a shopping scheme and that seems to be the way the world has evolved. I don't know if that's necessarily for the better, really. But um there you go. I make myself sound quite po-faced, but I'm not. But I think you've got to have an ear to the ground of what's going on with certain things and kind of take the mickey out of it a little bit when you can, you know? Yeah?
3: So I want to promote uh, January shows That'll be coming up. You're doing a West Coast swing, uh, San Diego and Long Beach. You're playing the legendary Troubadour in uh January on the twenty first. You got a Vegas hop and San Francisco. How excited are you about that West
4: Coast swing? Yeah, I am I'm looking forward to it. What happened was in between the Blondie shows and the summer, we did a one off show at um uh, the Whiskey, I think it was. Was it the Whiskey or the Roxy? I can't remember. Um, and the band kind of clicked. It, it's Burke on drums. He's helping me out. Got Gilby Clark on guitar and Steve Fishman. When we did that show in LA, quite a few people got up with us. And Cathy yeah. Valentine and Slim Jim Phantom and Kevin Preston is the second guitarist in Green Day now. And Fred Armisen as well. Now, whether I'll be attract all those to some of those gigs, I don't know. But we'll see. But, it, you know, it, it clicked. It's a good sort of Anglo-American rock and roll band, really. I don't pretend to be, um, you know, the piper at the gates of the the, the new music world. But I, I write some pretty catchy songs, I think. I present them pretty good. And um, it's, it's fun to come on down, you know. How did you sync up
3: with these guys, with the members of the band? Had you known all of them?
4: I've, I've known Clem for a long, long time. I met him when he first came over to London with Blondie in the late 70s. In fact, I think I met him. I did a, a one-off gig with Sid Vicious at a place called The Electric Ballroom, and it's sort of quite a legendary one-off gig. And Blondie came down to check us out, and I think I met him then. That's probably in about 1978. Um, and we kept in touch, and we have done loads of different projects, with each other, some good, some a bit harebrained. But, you know, for every thing that comes out you see a musician do, there's probably about ten times as many ideas where people just get together and try something out and see what comes of it. Then this has kind of come of that. Clem suggested Gilby, although I'd met Gilby before. The guy who's playing bass is a guy called Steve Fishman. He used to look, he's an American guy, but he lives... He used to live in London. He used to be the bass player on a big TV show over here with a guy called Jonathan Ross. So he was around. So we're kind of friends, you know. Um, But it's it's good playing with them. They they all play kind of good. You know, when American guys play good, they play really good. You know, So and these guys do. In fact, I've dubbed the band the Maestros because they are all Maestros to a man. I love that. So, um, Glenn, tell me
3: what an average day that is joyful is like for you
4: joyful wow having enough sleep in the morning was kind of good i've been really busy i've just come off a tour when i've been all around the uk just doing some solo shows which is what i'm doing tonight it revolves around um having enough coffee basically and sitting outside my local coffee bar watching the world go by but i'm quite chuffed at where i live and i've lived for many years but it's kind of like a stellar street um there's a tv program called i don't know if you've ever seen that it. it's a really funny program called Stellar Street, where the premise of the program is that keith richard and mick jagger run the corner shop and then there's people like um uh Who's the guy in Alfie? Michael Caine's in it, and then there's um, Al Pacino supposed to be there. Yeah, they're all impressionists, and they all live in the street, you know, like they're kind of neighbours rubbing shoulders. But where I live, I always see Paul Weller and Lulu and Chrissie, and we all just bump into each other all the time. So it's kind of quite fun, really. You know, where are you gigging? Oh, well, I'm here. I've just come back from America. Where are you gigging? Oh, I'm going up to, to Paris tomorrow and all that. So it's a good way of catching up. So I'm quite happy being there. So, yeah, if I have enough time to do that, I'm happy. That's a great description
3: of joy just running on to uh, all those uh, tremendous folks. My God, I love it.
4: Yeah. 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 And then normally we talk about each other behind. You got. I was doing something about the best thing I've ever did. I played with a version of the faces. Rod Stewart never did it, but... Ronnie Wood and Kenny Jones and Ian McGlagan did it. And we was rehearsing, and um, I went out to dinner with Ronnie and Ian McGlagan, the keyboard player, and I got up, and he said, where are you going? I said, well, I'm going to the loo. He said, you don't want to leave? I said, why not? He said, well, we'll only talk about you behind your back. <laughs> 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 it's kind of, that's what <laughs> Now, when everybody gets together
3: just for, you know, a cup of coffee at the shop, I mean, you guys talk current events and
4: everything, don't you? A little bit, but if I say where well, it's normally, where would you get those jeans from? Well, I've got this place down in, in the Chiltern Street now, you know. They sell like kind of Levi's stay press. They're hard everywhere get. Can you get them in Air Force Blue? Well, yeah, I think we got some. Oh, you should come down and check out. It's pretty mundane, really, but, you know, we don't talk shop too much. You have enough of that the rest of the time. No, yes, there are lots of current events going on at the moment and we're living in pretty straightened times. I mean, I don't turn on the news half the time. It's just too depressing, really. I hear you. we will be right back with more of the Taking a Walk podcast.
3: Welcome back to the Taking a Walk podcast. So tell me how you
4: first became a musician. Well, I guess from a very young age, I always wanted to be. I was, I've said this quite a few times, but when I was about 10, I used to listen to the pirate radio stations over here where bands like The Kinks and The Who and The Yardbirds oh and The Stones came through, and then we had the best TV show ever called Ready, Steady, Go, where those bands would play live on, and there was a girl woman singing on it called Dusty Springfield and she kind of discovered Smokey, not Smokey Robinson. she discovered Tamla Motown and then they would have like Smokey Robinson on and Dion Warwick and, and the Supremes and Martha Reeves and Fandellas all playing live. That's kind of what got me going but there was another band that was on there a lot called The Small Faces which kind of metamorphosed into the faces and I just kind of dug them. They were, they were all like young kids, mods as we call them over here, played great. Stephen Marriott was a great singer. It just kind of got me going, really. And that's when I got a guitar for Christmas and started having a go learning it. It wasn't very good back then, but if you stick with something long enough, just by a process of osmosis, you pick things up. Yeah. So first uh, record album you ever bought and first concert you ever went to, what was it? Well, the first record album I have, not maybe not album, but I've got two. I can't remember what I bought first singles. I didn't have enough money for albums, but I got You Really Got Me by the Kinks. And in fact, I can see it over the other side of the room is the Twist and Shout EP by the Beatles. Got that. Um, Think, what was the first album i bought i think the first album i got was was sergeant pepper for christmas and i dug it out the other day i rarely play it but it's still got the cardboard inner thing in it you know with the medal that you can cut, cut out and um sort of badges you're supposed to pin on and a cardboard moustache but i never cut it out because i thought it would probably look a bit stupid on a 10 year old kid you know so it's still pristine <laughs> And then the first gig I ever went to see, um, I got some really cheap tickets for the girl I was going out with when I was at school, and we went to see a band at the Royal Albert Hall called Pentangle, and I don't know if you've ever heard of them. They're kind of like folk, yes, rock. Um, yep. And we went because there was a TV show called Take Three Girls, and they'd done the theme music for it. But I was really pleased I went to that because it was like Dave Mattox and John Renborn and and Jackie McShee and Danny Thompson on bass. You know, so I saw those guys in their prime. I was quite pleased about that. But then I kind of started getting into like more hard rock stuff. I was a big fan of a band called the Sensational Alex Harvey Band. I don't think they did a lot in America, but... um. They were kind of like a proto-punk band, Faces, I went to see a good few times. In fact, I saw them at Wembley when they were supported by the New York Dolls, which was the very original band with Billy Marcy still playing drums not long before he died. So I've kind of been there at some of the right moments in musical history. I was a bit annoyed. I, I could have possibly gone to see the Stones and I'd park with Mick Taylor, but I had a job on a Saturday and I had to deliver Mrs. Brown's groceries. <laughs> I couldn't go. But I skived off a month or so later to go and see Humble Pie Support and Grand Funk Railroad. That was kind of good. Wow. Yeah. So would um,
3: there be a particular musician or artist that you really dig that would surprise our listeners of the podcast about Glenn
4: Matlock? I don't don't know if it would surprise them too much and it's not been any secret but I was always a big fan of Ronnie Lane that's why I got a bass he was the bass player in the small faces and then the bass player in the faces that's why I'm so chuffed to to get to play with the faces because I could play all his um his bass parts in fact Ian McGlagan said look Glenn you know, looks like you got the gig. Are you sure you're up for this?" And I said, Mac, that's his nickname. I said, I can play these songs backwards. And he went, oh, great. I said, it's just Forwards I struggle with. And he laughed and it kind of sealed the game. But, you know, I like Ronnie because He had a real kind of tender side as well. He had a great band after the Faces called Slim Chance. And, and these very kind of heartfelt songs. And in fact, I was talking to Kenny Jones. The faces drummer. And I said, What happened with Ronnie Lane? Why did he leave? And he said, Think about it, Glenn. He said he wrote all these fantastic songs, and every night he was going on stage with one of the best rock soul singers ever, Rod Stewart, and he'd never have a chance to sing any of his songs live. So no hungry blinking left, you know. So, yeah, that makes some kind of sense. But I like all kinds of music, I've got a very Catholic tastes. I like Anthony Newley, you know, I like big show tunes. I like Jacques Brel. I like bebop kind of jazz. Big fan of Mose Allison. Um, and ew, I like kind of krautrock, you know, like Can and Kraftwerk um, and stuff like that. I think the only answer in music is how well executed it is, you know, and how much heart goes into it. It doesn't really matter about the idiom too much.
3: You mentioned Mo's Alice, and what was that song? He would said, uh, "Your mind is uh, going crazy, and your mouth is working overtime." Do I have that one right?
4: Your mind is on vacation, but your mouth is working overtime. <laughs> yeah, you did that <laughs> one. You'll be lucky. Structure. What's the other one? I ain't talking that the yard bird's covered. I ain't talking. But <laughs> I gotta say, if I said things were splendid, someone would be offended. If I said things were awful. It might just be unlawful, laugh are hey talking? It just don't be, bam, bam, bam. yeah, kind of cool. I actually saw him play um, at some jazz place maybe about 15 years ago. That was cool. That's awesome. <laughs> and I've always thought this. I always thought my generation sounded a bit, sort of Mos Allison-ish, Mose-Alison, and I did see some interview where Pete Townsend owns up to that. Because they did Young Man Blues, which is one of his songs. But the whole groove of my generation, it's almost like a polka, which is like, you know, like a two-bit. Bat, 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 bat. And that's kind of the Mose Allison kind of groove. So, yeah. And I'm also a big fan of a guy called Georgie Fain. Who to- he totally ripped off Mose Allison with his voice. You know, he did that song, yeah, yeah. Oh, pretty baby, will tell me what wobble, you say da-da-da-da-da. You know that kind yeah. of. quite you played with Van, right? Van Morrison. Yeah. All, all those people—they're all kind of mates with each other, you know. And I like that. You know, people kind of accuse me sometimes of playing with too many different people, but all the people I like—they'd always crop up on different albums and and things. And I think it's kind of good. You know, the whole family Motown thing, like everybody played on everybody else's record. You know. Yeah. Let's go. I think that's cool, you know.
3: So, and when you're in a studio, can you describe what your creative process
4: is, uh, is like? Well, normally I have the, the way the song goes, you know, a set of calls and a tune, and it's kind of hopefully decided on the key before you get there. And we just kind of throw it around with the guys, you know, and there might be a, an important riff. As long as the lead guitarist plays the important riff, he can come up with what he likes. In fact, I said to El Slick, was in the studio with me, he said, I don't know what kind of solo to do on this one. I said, El, I suggest you do a good one, because it's going to have your name on the record, and if it's a bad one, people are going to think you're the nitwit and not me, you know, <laughs> except he used slightly stronger words. And he went, okay, I get it, Matlock. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> really have a laugh, you know. And I have Nick, Nick Lowe, um, you probably heard of. Uh, yeah produced all the, the um, Elvis Costello stuff and all that, but his ad age for record production is slap it down and tart it up. And that's kind of quite, <laughs> quite a good maxim, I think, really. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. So what, in your opinion, is the current state of the music business? Oh, I don't know. The more I know about the music business, the less I know. It just keeps changing. I think there's... a I hate all the kind of also tuned five or six songwriters on a song and it all sounds the same. I think it's become a bit soulless, but there's always people having a go at doing things. Um, But it's always kind of been like that. It's just the way the world goes, it just becomes more and more corporate all the time. I played at Fastenbury with Blondie on the main stage this summer. We were second on the bill. Elton John was top of the bill. I thought I'd go and watch Elton John from the side of the stage. They wouldn't let me on the stage because I didn't have the right pass. It's ridiculous. You know, it, and and then my son came, and he couldn't get in because I'd given him a pass, but it wasn't the right pass to get in the catering bit. So I snuck out of the back way, went round, and even though I was about to play, the, the – um, the security bloke said, "Well, I haven't got the right pass." I said, "Well, I'll just come out there." No, no, it's, a, it's it's crazy, you know. And it's supposed to be like the free spirited festival, and it's like you might as well be trying to clock in at work at IBM. IBM. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, um, in closing what advice would you give to uh musicians that are starting up who are listening to this podcast
4: it go for it really and, and take the rough with the smooth it's um you know i think if you if you get distracted by a day job or something like that you kind of have to suffer for your art a little bit and take it on the chin if it don't work but a bit of perseverance Using your noodle, using your head, and don't keep making the same mistakes twice. Is kind of good, you know. If something's not working, it's not. You're not going to get a different result by doing the same thing. Um, but I've been kind of fortunate. It's a bit up and down, but I do know that I'll probably get a phone call once in a blue moon to come and do something. You know, the whole blondie thing came out of the out of nowhere. Um, yeah, I know everybody's not in that position, but you just kind of... I think the thing is, is you got to be cool with the right people, and there's loads of people who think they're getting big and they start getting arsy with people, and you never know when you're going to slide down the greasy pole. So, you know, be good to people on the way up, because you never know when you'll be coming back down again. Uh-huh. I don't know, just, just be reasonable. Good advice.
3: Well, Glenn Matlock, congratulations on uh, the latest album, Consequences Coming. And uh, have fun on the West Coast swing there uh, in January. Uh, San Diego starting on the 19th and right through up till the 24th in uh, San Francisco. So, Glenn Matlock, uh, thank you so much and honored to talk to you. Thanks for having us. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Taking a Walk podcast. Share this and other episodes with your friends and follow us so you never miss an episode. Taking a Walk is available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts.
2: apple podcast or wherever you get your podcast that's, right. that's
3: right as important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner
2: gene gene Fodor. gene was good
3: but be careful because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas the cia really need your help gene freeze americano!
2: Huh? Oh. gene run
3: Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday.